At Woodside Bible Church, we gather weekly to pursue God by studying His Word together. How can Christians find the motivation necessary to overcome the challenges of our modern culture and continue the mission that God has called us to? In Revelation, All Things New, we'll discover a glorious description of the end of all things and the great kingdom to come. It's here we find motivation for our present challenges. Join us as we look to the end and find hope and strength for our mission in the present. My name's Ryan Russell. I uh, was here a few weeks ago, and I'm just grateful to be back with you. Uh, can you just turn me down just a little bit? I'm pretty excited, and I'm probably going to talk really loud today. Um, so I'm grateful to be back with you. As he, as he mentioned, I'm a pastor in our missions department, uh, so it's really exciting to watch all of the short-term teams get ready and prepare, and uh, people that were once strangers coming together to know each other as family and being sent out uh, either domestically or internationally and watching God move in miraculous ways and then coming home to impact their faith communities. And these short-term trips, they take um, a, a certain kind of preparation, and preparation that's not not like everyday life. It, it takes some preparation to worship in a strange place, to worship in a different place, maybe even in a different language, to learn new songs and learn new customs. It, it takes uh, preparation to get your passport in order because some countries won't let you in without one. It takes uh, financial preparation, like your spending and saving habits need to be changed because travel is expensive in 2023. Uh, maybe you go without a vacation, maybe you put off certain purchases, uh, packing, materials, communication internationally, sometimes translating across languages. This all takes a lot of preparation. How many of you have ever prepared for a short-term mission trip? A couple people, hallelujah. I'd like to see you after service and send you on another one. Uh, we prepare for all kinds of things, and short-term mission trips just happens to be one of those things. And another thing that I'd like to talk about for the rest of my time today is preparation for paradise. Are we preparing for heaven? Are we preparing for that day, that moment when we will experience all the things that we've been experiencing over these past seven or eight weeks in the, uh, the series called All Things New? As we've looked at Revelation chapter 19 through 22, we're going to close it out today, but are we prepared? Are we prepared for heaven? Are we prepared for paradise? And I think people all over the world are doing a kind of preparing for a paradisical lifestyle like that of the Garden of Eden back here on earth. That people are trying to get as many uh, comforts and joys and resources and things in their life here that are only promised in heaven. And then they wonder, we wonder, why are we let down here on earth? Because certain joys, certain privileges, certain lack of pain and heartache and destruction is only ever promised to us in one place, and that is with our Savior, where God will dwell with his people forever and ever. So for the rest of our time today, I want us to prepare for a better country like those in Hebrews 11. Not looking back, but preparing for something that is going to be so sweet, so beautiful, so joyous, and that's what we're going to be spending time talking about. Again, if you've been with us for a while, we've been in this sermon series, which is wrapping up today, called All Things New, as we've examined this uh, mesmerizing vision that the Apostle John has gotten at the direction of Jesus from an angel, telling him about the final defeat of sin, death, and Satan, showing him this vision of a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem, a new, beautiful, glorious city coming down, and far greater than anything John could possibly adequately articulate. But we get to witness it. We get to see it. And I hope that's created a, a longing in your heart. I hope that's created maybe a little bit of dissonance about, man, where I'm at today doesn't 
feel like where I'm going to be at, and I can't wait to be there. And I say, Maranatha, I say, come, Lord Jesus, because I'm longing for that. I'm waiting for that. And I look around, and I see pain, and I see destruction all over the place, that it makes me hungry for heaven, and it makes me want to prepare to be there where there's the river of life flowing from the throne of God, where there is the tree of life providing healing for all of God's people from all nations for all time and fruit that bears every single month and there's no evil and no destruction. I hope that this sermon series has done that in our hearts, created a longing, created something that we just cannot wait for. But to do that, we've got to prepare And if this is truly the destiny for all of God's people throughout all of time, for all those who believe in Jesus, what should we do about it today? How are you preparing today? Now, we've talked about how to prepare for a short-term mission trip. We've talked about preparing for other things. People prepared to be baptized, right? They brought a change of clothes. They brought their testimony. How are we preparing for heaven? And this is what this sermon series has been aimed at, is to teach us ways to prepare. And I I think it would be like just silly or, or maybe even preposterous that we get this message of the book of Revelation simply for information's sake, right? Simply so we could know about something. It's, it's meant to show us something here, but it's meant to create a longing deep within our hearts that we would live in anticipation of Jesus' return. That's our big idea today. Live in anticipation of Jesus' return. Don't just know about it. Don't argue about the day when Jesus will return, but live in anticipation of Jesus' return, that we would love his appearing. So as we look at preparation, we're gonna look at three ways. Can everybody help me preach today and say three ways? There we go. Man, I love the Warren campus. I tried this at some other campuses and they just stare at me and I'm like, Three ways, I'll repeat myself, hallelujah. I brought my own amens with me today. Uh, Thank you for helping me, I need help. Uh, Three ways that we're going to prepare as we actively await with with anticipation Jesus' return. Now before we go to the word of God, I'd, I'd like to ask you to open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22. We're gonna close it out today. So we're gonna pick up where we left off last week in verse six, Revelation 22 starting in verse six. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, the words will be on the screen behind you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, the Warren campus will gladly give you one, amen? Amen, okay, hallelujah. Let me just uh, open us in a brief word of prayer as we approach the word of God. Join me. Our Father, we love you, and we thank you, and we praise you, and we trust you. And I pray that today, as we look at your word, sacred scripture, which will never pass away, which will never become irrelevant, which is always culturally appropriate, that you would shape our minds, you would shape our hearts as we look at your son, our savior, Jesus Christ, as we look at the message that was given to the apostle John, our brother, and I pray that it would create a deep longing and anticipation in our hearts as we prepare for paradise with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to look at three ways today, three ways that we can prepare for this paradise. We're going to start in verse 6 and read through verse 11 of Revelation chapter 22. Verse six says this, he said to me, now this is the angel speaking to John. Jesus commanded an angel to give a revelation to John. These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. 
Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. The first way we're going to try to prepare today for paradise is to keep God's word, that we need to keep God's word. Right away in the first thought that we just read in the first paragraph is a beatitude, right? Is a blessing where it says, blessed is the one who keeps the words of this book. This is such an important declaration, such an important beatitude for us to pay attention to. And it tells you why you should or could or ought to keep the words of this book because they are trustworthy and true. This is what the angel says to John, that these words are trustworthy and true, so you need to keep these words. Friends, we have the capacity to blow right past this because we hear so many words today. We hear so much today on TV or social media or the news or people tend to talk a lot. Amen? You can give it to anybody in your life talk way too much. Don't make eye contact. Just say amen. Or ouch, hallelujah. I'm borrowing that from you, Crystal. That's great. But these words aren't created out of human imagination. These words aren't uh, manipulative to uh, have power or control through false motives. These words aren't the words of some newfound or new age psychiatrist or psychologist or spiritualist with some new truth. These words aren't just culture's new affirmed words. These words are trustworthy and true, and why are they trustworthy and true, and why should we keep them, and why will we be blessed than we do, and how can we trust that these words are actually true? In Deuteronomy 18, it talks about this, right? There's, the author is telling somebody, they ask a question, how can we know which words are not God's words? And the, the response is, when you hear the words of the prophets, if they don't come true, you'll know that the prophet spoke presumptuously, and you need not fear that prophet. So if these words are said to be trustworthy and true, and we know that this is the God of the spirits of the prophets, let's look at those prophets a little bit. Let's look at the prophet Nathan when he approached King David when he was in his charade with Bathsheba and Uriah. Nathan didn't have any extra information. Nathan heard a word from the God of the spirits of the prophets and went to King David and cut right through the charade with truth, right? So we can look at that. We look at Elijah who told the most powerful king on the earth at the time, it's not gonna rain until I say so. And it didn't. His words were true. We look at Jeremiah who warns Israel, if you keep this up, you're going to get judged and you're going to uh, have this judgment come upon you. And what happened? They didn't. They didn't amend their ways. Judgment came. Jeremiah's words were true. Isaiah said, 70 years of exile you're going to be in, Israel. And how many years were they in exile? 70 years. His words came true. Daniel told of the kingdoms of Persia, Greece, and Rome before they ever even existed. His words came true. So how do we know these words are true? Because the author of these words, the, word, the one who spoke these words, is the same God of the same spirits of the same prophets that spoke these things that never would have come true if they couldn't have been from God. These words come from the one who has never gotten anything wrong. The words that we are to pay attention to, the words we're being called to keep 
are the ones that have come from the one who's never gotten anything wrong. I don't know about you, but there's, there's a lot of words in my life that just don't tend to pan out. There's a lot of predictions that I see that don't tend to pan out. There's a lot of words that I have to wonder, like, is that true? Or, you know, should I pay attention to this? And you know, as I look at the, the housing market, I'm like, should I sell today? Because if I don't, interest rates and da, 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 blah, 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 all this stuff. These words are trustworthy and true. And John's not being fed some story. John's not being fed fake news. He says, I heard and I saw. I saw this stuff. I've seen this stuff firsthand. And because of the words, because of the majesty, he fell down again, which you'd think he might have this figured out. It was just three chapters ago in Revelation 19 when he did the same thing, fell down at the foot of the angel to worship. And he's like, hey, don't, don't do that. Haven't you been paying attention to what false worship will lead to? False worship of the beast, false worship of the antichrist, false worship of the false prophet, false worship of all these things lead to judgment. You only worship God. Keeping God's word is not something that only shows up in Revelation. This is something that is a common message throughout all of Scripture to God's people for all time. What did Moses tell the Hebrew nation? He said, bind these words. Put them on your doorpost. Do not forget these words. What did God tell Joshua? He said, day and night, meditate on these words. Don't let them depart from you. Be careful to do these words, King David said, so you'll be clean and right. Jesus said this, right? In John chapter 14, Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. And I and the Father will come and live in him. We'll be with him. We'll make our home with him. Paul calls Timothy, remain devoted to these words because they're profitable for everything. Keeping the words is not a new uh, idea that comes out in Revelation 22. This is what God has been telling his people, us, all along to keep his words, obey his commands. Why? Because it's trustworthy and true. Maybe just by a quick show of hands, how many of you have ever tried to do things your own way and then you got surprised when it didn't work out? Right, Crystal said it. She was like, I advise you, don't go kicking and screaming, go willingly, right? That is the illustration to point number one, Crystal's advice, right? Now, us, the reader of this book, the reader of this prophecy, are told we're blessed if we keep the words of this book. The angel tells John then, don't shut this up. Get this out there. Send this out to the churches, which is a little different than the last time an angel gave a man kind of a heavenly perspective of what the future was going to look like. In 500 BC, an angel visited Daniel and gave him a heavenly perspective, and he said, shut this up. Close this, because the time of the end is not yet. Now, the angel's telling John, the time of the end is now. It is near. Jesus is coming soon. It is time for the church to know what this looks like. The time where God's work culminates in the glorious city. The time where we need to keep God's words to be prepared for paradise. Verse 11, when it talks about let the filthy be filthy, the righteous be righteous, that's basically God just saying through this vision, let people keep doing whatever they're doing because my plan's gonna come to pass no matter what. That you don't have to fix anything, you don't have to try to change anything, you keep these words, that's how you're blessed. Let everybody who's doing everything else, just let them do it because my, uh, my, my plans are gonna come to pass. So we observe, we watch carefully, we guard, we keep these words. But the world doesn't make it easy to keep these words, does it? There's distractions everywhere. Have you ever counted the road signs when you're driving? 
like, I just wonder, do we really need that many reminders? And the answer is yes. We need more reminders probably. I can't tell you how often, uh, especially now that there's a new law in Michigan, no phones in your hand, amen? amen. A couple people are like, boo. <laughs> like, I can't, re- it's amazing to me how quickly I forget what the speed limit is on any road. I saw, I saw a sign like 200 yards ago and I'm like, what's the speed limit here? There's distractions and dangers all over this world that would hinder us from keeping the word, so you've got to try hard. But you can't do it on your own. Only the one abiding in you, living in you, can cause you to actually keep these words. And I think that you know, these dangers, the temptations to embrace a, a posture that God isn't at work. Right? We see these words where it says, I'm coming soon, and we're like, when? It's been a couple thousand years since this was written, so when, when is soon or Maybe my life does consist in the abundance of my things. Maybe it would be better if I tried to save my own life or uh, protect my own life instead of losing my own life and counting it as loss as I carry the cross that Jesus has told me to if I want to be worthy to be his disciple. These are hard truths that we need to process through. That sometimes keeping the words doesn't make us feel good. And it doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't say you're going to feel great if you keep the words of the prophecy of this book. It says blessed. Now that word, makarios, is the word in Greek, is supremely happy or divine joy. Something that doesn't come from within you is what you will experience if you keep these words. But think about the distractions in your life. I'm not going to spend time, you know, kind of going through a Rolodex of distractions. There's plenty in your own life, and each of you probably has your own. But think about what's distracting you from keeping the words. It might be time, it might be those you're around, it might be another habit that you need to just get rid of and replace with the reading the word of God, whatever it might be. Let me just encourage you, as the angel's encouraging John, keep the words, don't be distracted, whatever you've gotta do. Learn the word, trust the word, follow the word. Do you have a faithful practice of ingesting the word? Is there a faithful practice of basking in the word? There's so many apps out there that will read the word of God over you. The word of God is powerful enough that if it's read over you, it, good things will happen. That actually is what this book says. It says, blessed is the one that reads the word of God in public. Like this is good stuff that's going on. Even just hearing the word right here. Are you committing to try to live in accordance with it? Is the word of God shaping your view of culture instead of the other way around. Now, I read a a troubling news article yesterday from the Church of England. The Archbishop of York said that we ought to maybe consider changing the opening line of the Lord's Prayer because the word Father is triggering to people because they have pain from their earthly father. And I get it. Like, I get what he's saying. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a kind thing to think about. You want to try to help people. You want to have people maybe not be triggered by their trauma and their pain. And that's actually like a kind thing he's thinking. But it's completely wrong. That when you try to interpret the word of God through culture, instead of interpreting culture through the word of God, it might feel okay for a minute, but it will always be wrong. We have to keep the word, and that's what enables us to interpret everything. Keeping the word, knowing it, submitting to its teaching, allowing it to transform our beliefs and behaviors. 
not trying to have our beliefs, behaviors, culture, and opinion transform it. It goes the other direction. And and friends, I get it. And I hope that you can find even like some compassion for this archbishop. I think that most of us are tempted to be like, ah, and grumble and shake our head and wag our finger. But uh, I would just ask you to look in the mirror and remember the last time that you augmented the word of God to make yourself feel good. Because it's happened in every one of our lives, I promise. So we're anticipating this return of Jesus, preparing. And the best way to prepare is keeping the word. The second way that we're called to prepare as we continue on is it's kind of an interesting image, but it's to wash your robes, right? Not do the laundry, right? This isn't a Tide commercial or a Gain commercial, but to wash your robes. Let's look at what it says in verses 12 through 15. Behold, again, behold, look, pay attention. I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves to practice falsehood. So as we live in anticipation of Jesus' return and we're preparing for paradise, the first thing we've got to do is keep the word of God The second thing we do is wash our robes, right? And it's kind of an interesting uh, illustration. We're going to get there in just a minute. But I want to start by just kind of resting on verse number 12 for a little bit when Jesus says, I'm coming soon. What does that mean since it's been a couple thousand years since this was written? I think it's easy for us, you know, if we read scripture enough, we can come to a pretty quick and easy conclusion that God and me or us or we have a different conception of time. Right, First Peter 3, uh, Psalm 90 says, a thousand years to us is as a day to the Lord, right? That, that time is different. God's outside of time. He's not bound by our watch. Uh, I am today, and I promise I'll get you out of here before the next service comes. Um, but time's different between us and God. Time's even different between each of us, right? Does soon mean the same thing to all of you? Okay, nobody shouted no too loud and got in trouble. Somebody did just now after I said that. I think what's probably the most important imagery for us to understand soon is this repeated phrase that then Jesus says, as Jesus is speaking in first person uh, as the incarnate Christ, right? And then as the glorified Christ speaking in first person to us as he says this, this repeated phrase in verse 13 that is from Isaiah 44, that's from Revelation 1, that's from Revelation 19, Revelation 21, when he says, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the first, the last, the beginning, and the end. Now, I don't often find it super profitable to uh, talk about what Greek words are and how this was written initially and in the original language, because uh, sometimes I think it just sounds pretentious, right, where somebody stands up and is like, the Greek word is this, and I don't know, maybe that's just my own thing, my own personal thing. But in this case, I think it's super important to help us understand that Jesus is not just being repetitive. The alpha, the omega, the first, the last, the beginning, and the end, they sound kind of like the same thing, but there's actually six separate words that are being used here. And I think this will help us understand what he means when he says, I'm coming soon. Alpha and omega are just letters, right? They're capitalized also, so they're titles for Jesus. Uh, Alpha and omega are letters, the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And there's literary devices 
and all kinds of things that you see throughout the book of Revelation, all kinds of things, literary devices that you see throughout Scripture, like there's uh, something called an acrostic, which you can see in the Psalms, where each line of the Psalm is a successive letter in the alphabet. So for us, it would be A, B, C, D. And, And what that's meant to do is say, even all of the alphabet can't encompass the Word of God, that it encompasses everything, it overflows everything. So when you see a span like this in Scripture, alpha, omega, first and last, beginning and end, it's everything in between is who Jesus is. He's all of it. He is absolutely everything. So when you hear that right away and you're you're kind of thinking through how am I supposed to understand I am coming soon, you begin to remember that Jesus is everything. So I'm the alpha and the omega. I'm the first and the last. Again, not just being uh, repetitive of the first and last letter in the alphabet, but different words are being used here. First, the word he uses in Greek is protos, like prototype, the first one. Last, eschatos, which you've probably heard in this sermon series, eschaton, eschatology, the last things, the final things, the end of things. Protos means first in time, so the first one, first in place, and rank, the most important one. So not just the first and the last, but also the, mer- the first in importance. Last, kind of the same thing, final in time, that he is the last one. Final in place and succession that the entire span of all things from the first one, the firstborn of all creation is what he's called in Colossians to the very end. He encapsulates it all. He covers it all. And then finally, beginning and the end. Again, two Greek words, arche for beginning, which sounds like archetype, right? The model or the mold. Uh, End, telos, which Jesus, when he's on the cross, says it is finished. The word is tetelestai. It's done. It's completed. It's finished. It's all the way done. The end has been met. The purpose that I was designed for has been achieved, and it is fully complete. So when he says this, alpha, omega, first, last, beginning, and end, friends, it's not just senility, right? It's not just repetition. And when it's on the heels of him saying, I'm coming soon, could I just maybe posit something that he's never left, that he's not gone, that his presence is mediated by his spirit to us, by the spirit of Christ to us. He's before us, he's now during us, he's after us, he's the beginning of all things, he's the end of all things. And when he says, I'm coming soon, we know that he's referring to an appointed time by the Father when he will physically return. And Revelation 19, 20, 21, all those things are gonna come true where the final battle and sin and death and hell are gonna be defeated, Satan's defeated finally, fully, forever, we know all that. But I think when we hear these words, I'm coming soon, we long for Jesus, but we don't have to long for Jesus. He's here, friends. God is with us, friends. Now, we're not walking with Jesus like the disciples did. Now, I know that this is maybe a, kind of a, a tricky way to look at this or think about this, but when he says, I'm coming soon, I just pray that that would cause you to want his physical return, but that would also cause you to say, no, you're here with me right now, that you're coming soon, but you've never left me. He's never gone away from me, but he's coming soon. And, and really the word for soon is quickly, right? Mean, which, when you look at the language, it means like when I come, it's gonna be quick. More so than when I come, it's gonna be soon, like chronology. It's, a, it's talking about a quick coming, a twinkling of an eye is what it's talking about. So as we think about Jesus saying, I'm coming soon, and then you hear this re- repetitive phrase, friends, I just want you to be encouraged that God's never left you, that Jesus is still present, mediated by his spirit, and he is indwelling believers through the spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit of the living God is indwelling believers, and God is 
with us. And because of this reality, we're called to wash our robes. Again, a repetitive phrase that comes out in Revelation 7, Titus 3. And why do we wash our robes? So that we would have the right to the tree of life, so that we may enter the city by its gates. And having washed robes is simply a figurative description of having been washed by the blood of Jesus, making you whiter than snow, having your sins forgiven, being applied to your account. This sacrificial atonement, it causes us to be justified by his blood in Romans 5. That, and then it says that those who are not washed are left outside. And then he begins to talk about who these people are left outside, dogs, uh, sorcerers, idolaters, so on and so forth. But these are just people that are not responding to the invitation to come into the glorious city, not responding to the invitation to come into the kingdom of heaven where the tree and river of life are, where all good things are found and founded by God. It's John's warning, the reader here, of the consequence of not being the things in verse 15. The things that are listed in verse 15 aren't the things that keep you out of the glorious city. Not having the blood of Jesus is what keeps you out of the glorious city. Not being a sinner. Everybody in the glorious city who is a human being is a sinner. Amen? Amen. But he's warning the reader, have you accepted the invitation? Are you prepared to come to this party? You have to RSVP to the invitation first. You could just show up, but there may not be a plate for you, right? And we all kind of understand what this might feel like a little bit, like not responding to an invitation or maybe saying no to an invitation. And then you go on social media and you're like, let's see how things are going. And you're like, man, they're having an awesome time. I missed it, right? This idea of FOMO or being left out. This is what John is getting at. He's saying, you got to respond to the invitation. And maybe for you today, you're still weighing your options. Maybe you've got other invitations. Maybe you've got some conflicting things on your calendar. Wondering, what should I go to? Where should I be at? What's the, most invitation, what's the most important invitation that I've been given? Maybe you're weighing the options, wondering, yeah, this invitation from Jesus, it's, uh, it seems compelling and it sounds really good at the end, but I think he's gonna tell me to stop doing these things that make me feel good. I think he's gonna tell me to quit doing this stuff that I really like, but he calls sin. I wanna just encourage you as we, we begin to move really quickly through the end of the message here that the things that Jesus says you're not able to do anymore after you've responded to the invitation are things that aren't actually good for you anyway. They might feel good for a minute, but the word of God says that God withholds no good thing from them who walk uprightly, that nothing good is gonna be withheld from you. And his call away from certain things that he calls sin is actually because he's calling you into something better, calling you into something much more satisfying. So receive his forgiveness, answer the invitation, wash your robes with his grace and mercy, friends. But in order to do that, in order to be ready, in order to live in anticipation, in order to be prepared, we must come to the Lord. That's our final point today. As we live in anticipation of Jesus' return, point number three is come to the Lord. Let's read our last few verses in, the chap- in Revelation 22 and last few, chap- last few verses in the scriptures. In verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. 
I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star, the spirit and the bride say come. Let the one who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. So in verse 16, Jesus is just saying again, affirming his authorship, right? I'm the descendant of David. I am the one whose throne will have no end. Second Samuel 7, we see that come out. And then he calls himself the bright morning star, which is a, kind of a, an illustration of messianic hope from Numbers 24. But the bright morning star, friends, is also the one that we're called to come to. The bright morning star is the one that begins to shine before anything else shines in the sky while it's still dark out. So even while it still feels like there's not hope, the bright morning star has begun to shine already and we can come to him. And as we come to him and if we've come to him, you get these present tense invitations where it says, come, the spirit and the bride say, come. Who is that? That's us. That's those who have, by grace through faith, put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. We say, come. We have an obligation because it says then, the ones who have heard this, let the one who hears say, come. So the spirit and the bride, the the bride of Christ, who's indwelled by the Holy Spirit of the living God, the ones who's heard the word of this prophecy responded to the invitation, we have the obligation to say, come, we have a treasure, we have an invitation in our hands for a world that is watching and waiting and dying without a savior to say, come, come join in to this treasure. Come, take and eat with me. Come, see how sweet the Lord is. Taste and see how good it is. Let the one who has no money come buy and eat, it says in Isaiah 55 that you don't need stuff to respond to this invitation. You just need to know that you don't have anything to bring of yourself to respond to this invitation. You just need to come with your hands wide open, empty, broken, saying, I need something more than just to feel better. There's a lot of invitations we have in our lives. But nothing is as sweet as the river of life. And maybe you've experienced or are experiencing a deep hunger and thirst in your hearts today. Maybe you're sick of um, fleeting things, feeling good for a day at a time, a night at a time, a week at a time, a couple months at a time. And I, I wanna invite you to come. I heard a, an interview this week where a, a pastor talked to a youth pastor who had since uh, left the faith and become an atheist activist. And the pastor asked him, can you just tell me, he said, like, he's an apologist. He actually teaches apologetics at Biola University in California. And he was like, I totally failed in this interview. Like I had no answers for his questions. And then the last question I asked him was, can you just tell me the time when you first tasted the sweetness of grace coming from the cross of Christ when you knew you were a sinner? And he said, the youth pastor said, I can't. That's not why I came to Jesus. I came to Jesus because I was just feeling bad and wanted to feel better. And he told him, okay, well, you never actually left the faith because you were never actually 
in the faith. I think all over the place, many, maybe even some of us, have come to Jesus, come to the cross, or come to the church because we're just hoping for answers, because we're just hoping to feel better from the thing that is crushing us, the trauma from past relationships, the, the gripping of addiction, and just hoping to be free. But if you have never come, if you don't have an answer to that question, of what was the first time you tasted the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ when you knew that I am a sinner in need of a savior and I can't do it on my own? And if you don't have an answer to that question, brother, sister, friend, come to the Lord today. Quietly in your seats, come to the altar, whatever it is, come to the Lord today. He's the only one who is gonna grant you a well that will never run dry. He's the only one who won't make you feel better right away because that's not the message of the gospel. It's not come to Jesus and everything's gonna get better. In fact, most cases it's come to Jesus and things might get worse for a minute. But ultimately you'll be prepared to see the throne of grace. Ultimately you'll be prepared for judgment day. Ultimately you'll be prepared for the glorious city. So if you've never come to Jesus, crippled by your sin, lost, without hope, but you come to church every Sunday, make today the day you come to Jesus. Make today the day that you respond to the spirit and the bride say, come. Your brothers and sisters here want you to come. I want you to come. Jesus wants you to come to him authentically, not just because you want to feel better but because you know you can't do it on your own. And then if you have responded to this invitation, friends, then that's, that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be saying to everyone around us, hey, I've got this invitation I wanna tell you about. Just ask yourself a question. You don't have to show your hands or anything. Ask yourself this question. When was the last time I shared my faith with somebody? When was the last time I told somebody who didn't already know about Jesus, about Jesus? We're really good at doing it at church. Right? And I'm grateful for that, of testifying of the Lord's goodness with those brothers and sisters that are encouraged by the, the testimony of the Lord's goodness. But what about with somebody that might tell you to shut up? That's when you know, no, Jesus is the only answer for me. When you're sharing the gospel with somebody that might not want it, <laughs> that's when you know that it truly is the answer for you and you're not just looking to feel better. Even the, the Reach the World campaign. We get to partner. If we've, if we've heard this and we've responded to this, we get to partner. 3 John 8 says uh, that we become fellow workers in the truth when we partner in the ministry of the gospel. When we partner financially, when we give to the Reach the World campaign, you might actually be somewhat responsible and as far as responsible as a human being can be. We know that Jesus is the only one ultimately responsible for salvation. I can't be responsible for it. You can't be responsible for it. But you can be responsible for the means being produced to share the gospel with somebody in a country who you may never see in your entire life. And that's generosity. That's awesome. That's the, the call that we have. So as the worship team is gonna come back up, we're gonna, we're gonna sing a new song today. Um, we're gonna worship the conclusion to this message. As the book of Revelation closes with a warning and a declaration, the warning is if you take away from this, uh, then I'm gonna take your portion of heaven away. If you add from this, then I'm gonna add plagues to you. And you know, what's God talking about? I don't think he's talking about, you know, somebody, if you send a text of a Bible verse and you mispunctuate it, you're not gonna get locusts at your house the next day, right? Or, or for somebody like me who's like, if I forgot a word, is, is God like, oh, forgot you in heaven now, good luck. No, I, I think John is saying like, 
there's a temptation to allow a message like this to become the non-essentials of your life, to be on the margins or the fringe of your life, to not have this matter as the core mattering thing of your heart, that the spirit and the bride say, come. Because there is sin that clings so closely and it's a fight that we're in. But then Jesus' declaration is, I'm coming soon. And that should bring a smile to our face. That should bring a hope to our hearts. Because we've been in this sermon series for almost months now. And you see how the battle ultimately ends. And you might be in a battle right now that doesn't feel like you're winning, but you're in a battle that Jesus has already won. And friends, if you are on the right side of that battle, it is a battle fought on your behalf and you've already won. That if you've come to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, knowing in your heart you're a sinner in need of a savior, in need of grace, and can't do it on your own, and he's the only one who can grant you salvation, he's the only one who can grant you forgiveness, he's the only one who can grant you to be on that guest list when you respond to the invitation to be in paradise with him forever, then the battle is fought on your behalf. This is maybe a disturbing truth, but we're gonna sing a song about a battle or a fight that's already won. If you haven't, the fight has already been won against you. There's only two types of people in the world. Those who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and those that have not yet. And prayerfully, that yet will be something that comes to pass. But as we sing this song, I pray that it would give the the redeemed of the Lord the opportunity to say so, the redeemed of the Lord the opportunity to say, yes, I have already won this battle because Jesus has won it on my behalf. And maybe if you're weighing your options and maybe if you're curious of if if this is me or if this isn't me, maybe you can sing this song and you can testify to say, I need this to be me. And you can meet with pastors in the lobby, you can come to the altar, you can do it quietly at your seat. Maybe you've walked away after thinking you've been with the Lord or maybe you thought you've been with the Lord and maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you today and saying, no, you were just in church, but you weren't in Christ. I pray that this would fall on our hearts today. So I'm gonna pray for us and then uh, Ryan's gonna lead us in this song. Father in heaven, we love you and we thank you. We trust you in Jesus' mighty name that you have been good to us all the days of our life and you will continue to be good to us. We thank you that it's by your grace through faith that we can come to you. And we pray right now, Lord Jesus, that as we sing this song, as we worship our testimony out loud over people, and maybe as we hear this song and we wonder, what side of the battle am I on? Have I really come to you, Jesus? Am I prepared? Am I living in anticipation for Jesus' return with faith or with fear? We trust you. We love you. And as we all stand to our feet in reverence for the Lord, we want to say thank you. And we want to say, come, Lord Jesus. In that holy name we pray. And together we say amen and amen. Let's worship together, friends. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.